Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This episode of Ramble Meets is sponsored by Bet365. Sam Matterface, formerly football commentator, now known for sequins and cheesy lines on Dancing on Ice. Sam, it's an absolute pleasure to be sat here with you. Uh, I've been looking forward to talking to you for a little while. I think the art of football commentary is a fascinating one. Um, But first of all, I would like to start by asking you your story, how you became a a, a commentator on national radio and national TV. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. As a geek, as someone who loves to look at how podcasts are put together and radio is put together, it's great to come in here and have a look at how you've set the place up and the tour that you gave me earlier was very kind, by the way. Welcome. Uh, It's not not our first time in the studio together because we've worked together at TalkSport before. We have. Um, But it's it's good to come and see you in your own habitat. Natural environment. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) See how the sausage is made. The tour was very short because the premises are very small, but it was a tour nonetheless. (laughs) It took at least about three and a half minutes. Yeah, exactly. Um, I I started, I think, probably 1992, I think it was, November 1992. Mm -hmm. I was 14 and a half. Right. And um, hospital radio got me started. I was a bit of a saddo as a kid, really. Uh, I wanted to play football, but I was average at best. But I was a trier. I was one of those who... Oh, you're fitting around there, mate. (laughs) I was one of those who sort of hung around trying to get onto the school team. In fact, I remember... I was always named as a sub or a reserve for the school teams, but I almost always got into the team right. because I just just kept going. And it didn't matter that I wasn't perceived as good enough to be in that squad. Yeah, I would just keep going until I got into it. And then I got into it. And once I was in it, it was difficult to get me out because I was a bit of a... I'm a I work... I'm a grafter. Yeah. I, I believe that, you know, talent is great. I'm sure loads of people have got talent and there is such a thing as raw talent, but... I don't have any, hmm. so all I can do is is graft my way, and that's what hmm. I did with the football, and I think I've done that sort of with the, the commentary as well. I think you just keep working and hoping that people keep giving you gigs. I started with hospital radio. I went to Portsmouth um, when I was about 21 and took a gamble on life. I worked in a McDonald's to fund my radio habit yeah. over the course of six Your or radio seven addiction. years. <laughs> yeah. Well, the McDonald's was great because it, it, it was a Saturday job that wasn't necessarily one that occupied you for the whole of Saturday. Mm. So I could still do football and I could still do radio. So I could work Friday nights, Saturday mornings or Saturday nights or Sunday mornings. And So at hospital radio, you were volunteering, right? Yeah, right? yeah, absolutely. It's all voluntary. And then you moved to Portsmouth to take up a job at 107.4 The Key. But where are you from originally? 
from southeast London. I was born in Dartford. I lived in Orpington and Bromley. Okay, so you moved away from your from your hometown to go and take up a, on a bit of a punt to go to Portsmouth and commentate on Portsmouth games. Is that right? Oh, I I, I did. I had a really successful McDonald's career in <laughs> which I ended up being a restaurant manager of a McDonald's at the age of twenty. It was the youngest one in the country, you know. Wow, that's, um, a, that's to be fair, that is very good. I mean, you shouldn't sneer at that kind of stuff. No, I, I, listen, I think it was a great grounding for me. Um, but I left uh, because I just thought I don't want to do this. I want to do radio, and I. Didn't have a job, so I worked in a Virgin Megastore. Did you I, practice your radio on the um, drive-through intercom uh, at McDonald's? I only ever worked in one drive. Actually, no, I worked in two drive-throughs. No, but I never did any of that no, you stuff. Should've, I was should've. I was managing because there was a point. guy who was um, I don't know, I don't think it's called that anymore. But Choice FM in London, there was a guy yeah. who was a DJ there, and he got found. Um, he got discovered by using the intercom system on the London bus he was driving. Really? And he would he would entertain the passengers by going, and now we're stopping here, now we're stopping there, look at this, look at that. And that's how he got picked up. There's a few people on the uh, round network that do that, I think, showcase yeah. their talent. There's a guy who does a, a Manchester to London train. He, he always does a quiz. Does he really? Yeah, it's great. So there's ways to do it. There's, there's ways to do it. There's definitely ways. So sorry, go back to, to you. Get... So you're at McDonald's, you left McDonald's and then you went to the key. Well, no, it, it, I, I worked as a, a volunteer for um, BBC Radio Kent, uh, Wimbledon Football Club for a long time and then Capital Gold I did some freelance work for. I basically, okay. I was begging people to give me a job doing radio and I right. wasn't getting paid for it but I was just making myself available to, so I could learn how to do it properly and with professional intent. I sent off a CV to every single radio station in the country including BBC local radio stations and commercial radio stations. And eventually, just out of the blue, someone had found a CV and they were so desperate to get someone who knew something about football because they were starting a new radio station and they hadn't got a clue about football. Right. Um, that they rang me, said, could you come and have a chat with us? And I said, yeah. Yeah. Although I am just about to sign a contract with, and I just made up that I was signing a contract with Capital. They said, don't do anything until you come and see us. So I thought of put them in a, they were in a desperate position anyway, and I just yeah. put them in a more desperate position. <laughs> okay. and, then they, and then they gave me the job as a sports editor on a radio station, and I had complete freedom to play with that radio station. Did you know what you were doing? Sort of. I was sad enough, and I'd been working in the voluntary sector in the hospital radio, mm. which was a big hospital radio station and other places for long enough. I'd done some commercial radio for Radio Thamesmead as well, um, to have an idea of what I was doing, yeah. So, okay. It must have been quite daunting, though. Uh, no. I was 22, 23, okay. so I was, you know, young, cocky. Right, okay. Thought, yeah, I can do this. Okay. And bluffed my way through it. Yeah. And then... It worked. We got lucky. And mm. Portsmouth had a, a fantastic journey at that point. I joined as Graham Ricks was coming to the end of his tenure. Harry Redknapp took over the year after I first joined and I got to follow all of that and then their wonderful rise. I mean, it was amazing time to be down there. Yeah, I mean, I was living down there at the time and without making this a Portsmouth loving, because I know you're not a Portsmouth fan, although you do have an affinity with the club, as all great fo I, football I do men love do. Them. Yeah, all football people have got great affinity with a with historic and, and illustrious club like Portsmouth. <laughs> but I remember listening to 107.4 The Key for every Portsmouth game. So not only sports... You weren't only a sports editor, you were also the commentator for the live games, right? Yeah. You were the voice of that promotion season, really down in, in Portsmouth. And that must have been an incredible thing, because for a team to get to, to the Premier League is big anyway, but that, that city is kind of dominated by the football club, isn't it? And oh, yeah. To, to, be the, to be the voice of that would have been a pretty cool thing. Well, you would think that um, Portsmouth hadn't been promoted to the top division since the back end of the 80s. 80s yeah. 
Um, and when I first arrived, all they ever talked about was Radio Victory and Mike Neeson of the News, who was the historic reporter who had just retired at the time. Yeah. Um, and these figures played big parts in 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 telling those great stories. And it's a great club. It's a it's a it's a working class, proper city mm. with a real enthusiasm for their game and their football club and they've had a terrible time over the last 10 years really since the, the the rise but at that period it was on the way up and I was so lucky to be a part of it and yeah do you know what it was it was it was heady days I, it was great for me I, I enjoyed it and I ended up not only being the voice of the football I ended up being the voice of the entire radio station because it was so small and we had yeah. so little money that I ended up having to do breakfast shows and being the programme controller ultimately before I left And so uh, did you did you, did you... You just took a room in Portsmouth and rented and, and, and... I took a room in an old guy's house. His name was Don. And he was very... Odd. Uh, <laughs> but he was also very kind. And I did, it was odd to me because he was in his 60s and I was 22. So, you know, yeah. uh, I stayed there for a while. Then I stayed in a hotel. Then I uh, rented a flat. Eventually, when I could afford to, to, to pay my own rent, I, could, I, I, I rented a flat in, in Southsea. Yeah, right down the seafront. It was a one-bedroom little front, uh, flat with damp in the corner. And nice spot, though. It was a nice spot. Great yeah. for walking yeah. up and down Osborne Road. Yeah, um, where all the the now over thirties clubs are. Yeah, <laughs> I was in there last. week. Still see week. you walking up and down there now, I expect. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. It, it was it was great, and I just sort of forged a life there. I didn't have any friends. I didn't know one person in Portsmouth when I first moved there. Hmm. Um, Do you I, know any now? I I I'm, I'm now regularly go back because all my friends are great there. well most That's... of my not all of my friends but most of my friends are there or came from there but that tells its own story doesn't it I, I every a lot of people say that they made their life at university well I went to university for six weeks right and um, I just thought it was the most boring experience ever so I left yeah um, that was nothing to do with the fact that it was in Liverpool it was more to do with the fact that I'd taken a year out done lots of work earned really decent money someone offered me a job where I could Continue to earn decent money, and I thought one hour a day. Why? Yeah, yeah. Surely yeah, yeah. there must, must be another way of doing this. Which and probably in hindsight wasn't a great thing to do. Kids stay at university, but yeah, stay in, like, stay in education exactly. But but this this would have been. I'm I'm just aware of the idea that that the vast majority of people listening to this are going to know you as a commentator. Yeah. And this trip down to Portsmouth and this stay in Portsmouth was where you presumably got your first taste of doing live football commentary no I'd done it a lot beforehand for, for free and I'd done it a lot for uh, I did it for Wimbledon Football Club I, the first game I did I think was a a Wimbledon versus Gillingham game it finished 4-4 and I thought this is for me I've got this bug Yeah, and it was for television it was a Wimbledon their in-house television thing and I got in massive trouble because I compared Peter Hawkins who was the right back at the time to the guy that, out of Seinfeld because he had this massive great big mop oh, of yeah. hair <laughs> and Alan Kimball was the captain of Wimbledon at the time and he was absolutely furious when they watched the video back on the Monday morning that I'd insulted one of his teammates and that's surprising because you just thought like a football player would have thought of that as in quotes banter yeah you know, good football banter but the thing is if you're not part of the football if you're players, not in it if you're exactly not, in you're it. not part of the elite exactly we've, well, all, seen, we've all seen Jake Humphrey on BT Sport yeah. <laughs> well, one of the things is, is, is that sometimes you really do get into that and one of the great things about Portsmouth was is that I I didn't become part of the team I wasn't part of the team but I was in their little 
not group. I, I never go as far as to say I infiltrated that dressing room. I didn't, but I was a part of it. I was yeah. around it a lot. I spent yeah. my days with Eddie Howe, with Richard Hughes, with Steve Stone, with Svetislav Todorov, Paul Merson, Teddy Sheringham. Yeah. You know, all these players that came through the door there. Yeah. And it wasn't like it is now. There wasn't press conferences. There certainly weren't press officers. Sam used to walk in, sit on the bank, watch, chat, looking like so a... you had free reign, basically. A, I just did what I wanted, yeah. Whenever I wanted. If I wanted to go up on a Monday, I'd just turn up on a Monday. Right, I'd okay. Go and have a chat. I'd go okay. and sit on the... If it's sunny outside, I'd just go and sit at Southampton University, where they train down in Eastleigh. Yeah. And I'd just hang out, have and a cup of coffee. They wouldn't stop you? No, never. And, okay. Sometimes they'd take me into the dressing room and beat me up. Yes, <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, Big Kev the Kitman, you remember him? Yeah, he's still there, mate. He's still there. He's yeah. still there. Yeah, yeah. 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 He um, he once chased me around um, the dressing room, got me on the floor, and twisted what was an already massive nose to, till it went purple. And then you say, and you imagine what they would have done if they didn't like you. You said you're part of their, <laughs> part of their group, and I was supposed to be his mate. Kev's quite terrible. I mean, terri- very, very friendly man, but quite terrifying. Well, he was an ex Commonwealth boxer. Yeah, so quite. he went to the Commonwealth Games as a, a, for Wales yeah. as a heavyweight boxer. He's 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 massive, uh, but he's he's also a very funny man. You said earlier that you said touchy feely when you, <laughs> to say the least, when you commentated, you thought this is a bit of me. I like this. Yeah. Were you aware earlier on, early on, that you could actually do it? Um, or was it difficult to start with? No, it's never been... Oh, look, I'm not saying I'm great at it. I can do it, I think. Um, I think that I've always been able to do it. I think it's, it is one of those things you can do or you can't. Mm. And I think there's a guy at TalkSport I spoke to who used to be the head of live sport, now runs TalkSport too, Mike Boville, who always said to me, it is a skill, isn't it, that you can do or you can't. I said, and I agree with him, and yeah. we, we have had a conversation about commentators and how we can mm. do, you know do things. And I do believe it is one of those things that you... you you either get straight away or you'll never get because it's, there's so much to it. You always have to have a blank mind when you're doing it because you can't you can't let anybody interfere with your thought of what you can see in front of you, especially when you're first starting. As yeah. time goes on, you can adapt to that because you have a lot of voices in your ear. You have, especially on television, you have a lot of things that you know that you need to get in to curate the story. Yeah. Um, but you've got to be able to call the action. That's the main thing and mm. be able to see who's got the ball and where that ball is and communicate that. And I think that is something that, um, you know, even now, sometimes you listen to the radio and we're not as good as sometimes we need to be in terms of geog- geography. Mm. And where is the ball? That is the key thing, yeah. especially on the radio. I mean, yeah. on the television, it's completely different. It's a it's a different skill. What, who were the best commentators for you when you were... Uh... Growing up, because uh, here at the Ramble, we love, uh, we've always loved Barry Davis. He'd be our favourite. Um, we well, have to say he's magnificent. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but there was a big schism, wasn't there, between people who loved Barry Davis and people who loved John Watson. But I don't think there needs to be, of course. I was Barry when I was younger. I was, I was, I was very much Barry. And Barry did the only FA Cup final. Um, the only FA Cup final he did was the FA Cup final that my club got to in mm. 1994 and lost 4-0. Mm. Um, and Glenn Hoddle came it's 4-0 took his zip down the front of his jacket as if so I'm going to come and save the day now Glenn sit down it's, it's 4-0 <laughs> it's done yeah, yeah it's, it's, done. it's over mate yeah. there's no Superman act yeah. coming yeah. here but, um, but when you listen to Barry Davis I'm trying, trying to get a feeling of, about, of were you inspired by that did you always plan to do this no, kind of thing Jonathan or? Pierce, I think was the one that inspired me the most on Capital Gold Sport because that's what I grew up listening to on a Saturday afternoon mm. and um, at Five Live Mike Kingham big fan of Mike Kingham but that was as I was getting older so mm. I started I think with Jonathan Pierce, Alan Green and Mike Ingham were 
heroes of mine after that uh, from Five Live. Um, those two very much sort of played a part in my development as a commentator. Mm. Uh, Mike, I've got to know latterly. Um, you know, I think he's he's just great. I mean, I know he's retired now, but he's, he was great. I think, um, and then over time, I've sort of spent time with other commentators. Martin. Tyler has been good to me. Ian Dark was absolutely magnificent to me early on. Another Pompey lad? Yeah, yeah, he listened to my tapes when I was at Portsmouth. Right. And I think um, the first person who ever said to me that I should be doing commentary was my granddad. We were sitting watching a charity shield back in the day when it was a charity shield. And I did it for my mate. So I was just messing around. And he said, you've got, that, 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 you've got to say that's good Yeah. to one of my mates. And I thought, oh, interesting. Yeah. And that was always in my mind. Yeah. And then I think when I sent a, couple of tapes to um, Ian and Darkie listened to all of it and then wrote me a letter afterwards saying you should be doing this at a national radio level not just local level right gave me the inspiration to then try and kick on again because I had a very comfortable existence in Portsmouth I had really yeah. enjoyed it in terms of you know I wasn't rich or anything not I many was, people can say that you know no, but I loved my life there it was a fantastic mm. I loved it it was the people I worked with I was so lucky I worked with some brilliant people Jenny Gow I hired her from um, BBC Radio Solon she's now the F- Formula 1 presenter for Five Live mm. Jonathan Becker I, I hired him from and a radio station in Guildford and he he works on Sky doing the Match Choice games as a commentator mm. now. Um, Dan Windles on TalkSport 2 who worked with us. Alex Crook worked with us down there. Um, loads of people. Rich Hurst does a a, a show down in uh, in Worcester where he's the, was the breakfast show so local celebrity. I go to Worcester to see him. You can't go anywhere without him <laughs> having a selfie with about 17 girls. He, he, you know, the, the, Loads of great, talented people were in that radio station at the same time. Lots of young people. And I think it came out of a, a local college. A lot of it came out of the local college, Hybrid Probably, College, yeah, course, which yeah. had a great journalism post It's got a good course. reputation for that. fantastic. Yeah. The NCTG so, down there. Yeah, yeah. so uh, we TJ. had a lot of talented people there. So I was lucky to have that environment. And, and I didn't necessarily want to leave. Hmm. But I got a few pushes to do that and then eventually I did. But also, I mean, there's, there's, I feel like when you come and do, when you work in the media, you need, I feel, well, for me at least, you need some time to learn it on the job, right? Because you can't replicate oh, it. Oh, absolutely. If, 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 if I sat and did stuff that was never going to be put out there, it would never be, it's almost like a, you know trying to replicate a penalty shootout in a competition. You, you can't replicate the, the tension, the, the tense drama, all the, all, the, all the pressure. And so I guess down, without being disrespectful to my hometown and why would I do that, yeah. you get a chance to make your mistakes. Absolutely. When we first did doing the ramble, it was fine because no one listened, right? So yeah. the, for the first year or two, you could really just make all your mistakes and no one would care. Oh, we've done some crazy stuff. I mean, I did some really ridiculous stuff that involved... It actually got me in a lot of trouble. I got in a lot of trouble a few times. I um, I, I got Ofcom complaints coming out of my ear. Right. Because I thought the only way to make that radio station, it was a new radio station, the only way to make it um, known about was to cause a stir. Yeah. So we did. Of course. All right, listen, um, let's go for a little break. When we come back, um, we'll talk about Sam's transition from local roustabout in Portsmouth to national commentator invading the consciousness of football fans all over the country. Don't go anywhere. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. This episode of the Football Ramble is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life throws many different challenges at us, and as a result, we all have our own sources of stress. Whether big or small, those stresses can impact our lives in unpredictable ways, and if we don't address them, they can have an outsized and unwanted impact. Therapy is a safe place in which we can address these issues, learn to understand them, and find ways to work through them. Having therapy can be beneficial to anybody, not just people who've experienced major traumas, even if you may have not considered it before. It could be simply a time for you to get things off your chest, a way to learn positive coping skills or how to set boundaries. Ultimately, it can be whatever you need it to be. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and BetterHelp will match you to a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash ramble. All right, welcome back to Ramble Meets with me, Luke, and I am joined by Sam Matterface, as you know, because you've already heard the first half. Sam, after the key, you went to Sky Sports, is that right? Correct. And you worked on Sky Sports News. So I decided to chuck it all in at Portsmouth at the end of a season in which, and you will remember this, they played Arsenal on the final day of a season, I think it was the end of 2007, Mm -hmm. and they should have had a penalty, which if they'd scored it, would have taken them into Europe above Blackburn Rovers because of either it was either fair, fair play or something to like, like, like mm-hmm. that. They mm-hmm. would have got into Europe that season. It didn't happen. Mm. Graham Pohl was the referee. And they they messed it up. They missed the decision up. They didn't get a penalty. And Portsmouth finished in eighth, I think. Mm. And um, I thought it's not going to get better than this. So I'm, I'm off. It was the second worst decision in Portsmouth's Premier League history. The first being when Robert Perez dived over Arian oh. Dazou in a game. Arian Dazou dived over, and he, Portsmouth would have broken Arsenal's invincible record. Yes, yes. <laughs> so it still sticks in my craw now. But anyway, sorry. Carry on. Um, Teddy did score that game, though, didn't they? They did score at Highbury that day. I think so. Yeah, Teddy I scored, believe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, yeah, where were we? We were talking about. So oh, you, we left. oh, sorry, I you, left. You, yeah. you, you, you've uh, hung up your mic. I just, I just, I said I can't do it anymore. I fell out with the people that were working above me, and I just thought I've had enough, and I was getting it ratty. Yeah. So Power FM, uh, another big radio station on the South Coast, asked me to be their breakfast show host and take over from a guy who'd been working there for years, mm-hmm. Rick Jackson. I was putting football to one side for a bit, and I was just going to go and do a breakfast show there. Mm-hmm. And my, I, I just signed up with an agent. Some guy had come and said to me, can you come and, you know, why don't we represent you? And I was like, oh, whatever. Hmm. Um, and he said, I was going to an Arctic Monkeys concert. And he rang me up and he said to me, um, on your way to Cardiff, I don't know why I was going to Cardiff to watch the Arctic Monkeys, but I was, um, could, could you just pop into Sky? They're looking for presenters. They've got a few departures and they would like to just see, you know, whether or not you can do it. I was like, why? And he goes, Basically, he'd touted out that he'd got 
two or three people on his books that could do this job and, mm-hmm. you know, he'd pushed me into it. Mm-hmm. I, honestly, Luke, I didn't think anything of it. I walked in, I met a guy called Ian Brash, who's a very good director and he said, I've never done television before. I've never even seen it. I mean, I've done television commentary once for Wimbledon, as I mentioned, yeah. but I... Not the same thing, is it? No, well, presenting television, no. Yeah. But they I walked in, they sat me in a the studio, they said, can you read the auto cue? I went, all right then. Mm. And I read it. Now, a bit like you said, it commentary. Mm. It is just reading out loud. Yeah. And it is, but it is a skill. You know, yeah. reading, reading a script is a skill. I've been lucky. I think radio is a fantastic grounding for any sort of broadcasting. Um, and I still believe that now. And I think if you listen to anyone, I think, who's done radio will tell you that their best thing that they have learned, the skills that they've learned in radio, they've been able to transfer into TV. I don't think it's always the same the other way around. If you've no. gone TV first and into radio, I don't think that's as easy. Mm. But um, yeah, I, and I just did it. And then I did it and then I went home. And, and just before I walked out the door, I said, is that it? And the guy said to me, uh, yeah. I said, all right, see you soon. He went, oh yeah, we'll see you soon. I didn't right. think anything of it. Right. Next, I went to the Arctic Monkeys, got absolutely wasted, really enjoyed myself. Uh, got back to Portsmouth the next afternoon and I got a phone call saying they'd offered me a contract. Cool. So I moved. And you went to Sky Sports News and you did some stuff with Jim White and did breaking news stuff and all that sort of exciting stuff. We thing. did the first dread deadline day and then I yeah. got ditched. Oh, really? <laughs> Why do you think that was? I don't think I'm as funny or as cool as he is. No. Or... or, or has many contacts in my mobile phone. This is well, no one's got as many contacts in their mobile phone. Unbelievable, right? Um, but but I'd, 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 if it's okay to, with you, I'd like to fast forward through to your to your talk sport stuff because you've been yeah. there for a number of years now, and and like I say, people do know you as a commentator. And what what does a good commentator need to have? What what's, what what makes a good commentator? Accuracy. Mm. You've got to be able to believe what they're saying. Mm. So you've got to genuinely depict what you see. Mm. Are we talking about radio or TV? Radio. radio. For radio, For now. Gen- you genuinely have to give them a, a real true reflection of what's happening in the game. You can't describe every single touch. It's impossible to do that. The game yeah. is, is at such a speed. It's, you can't, but you've got to give people a flavour of what is happening. And that is not always the, um, the action on the pitch. Because sometimes, as you know, going to football, there are games where nothing happens on the pitch. So then you sort of lurch into conversations that people are having about what's happening on the pitch or, you know, what's happening in the stands or um, what the feeling is amongst a set of supporters or a narrative compared to... comparable to the story that is developing in front of you, whatever that may be. It might be some big issue or whatever. But I think you've just got to be reliable. People Mm. have got to believe what you're telling them. And how important is the relationship with the co-commentator, particularly on radio? <laughs> you know where um, I'm going with this. Very good. You have, yeah. to, have to be. It has to be. You have to trust each other, and it has to be very good. Yeah. Because when I was, I used to listen to you a lot when Talksport. I don't know if they still do, but Talksport used to have exclusive Saturday evening games, and yeah. you used to do that. I still do it. Yeah, it's nine to, years now. You used to do it with Stan Collymore. I used to do Saturdays and Sundays, and sometimes every Tuesday and Wednesday with Stan. Yeah. In my opinion, you and Stan were very good together. Yeah, I think it divided opinion. I, think I thought some, you were very good. I some, some people really liked it. I really liked it, yeah. Some people, I think, didn't like it towards the end. Um, were you one of those people? No, I. Uh, look, he's the longest relationship I've ever had. Yeah, professionally. Or, or, no, both. <laughs> <laughs> we okay. sat in the back of a cab actually once in Sunderland and I knew it was coming to an end. I don't know why, I just had a feeling. Um, and we were driving to the game it was like literally the last game of the season I think and we sat down and the geezer said to started talking about how long we've been working together and I said exactly what I just said to you is yeah. that 
I haven't had a girlfriend as long as I've no. been with Stan. But yeah, I spoke to him the other week actually, and he's uh, he's had a tough time recently. Yeah, but he is um, he's a he has got talent in terms of broadcasting. Was there any moment when you when you uh, I mean, I'll talk a little bit about the preparation that's needed and all that kind of stuff in a minute. But because you've done Champions League finals, you've done the World Cup, you've done lots of different bits and pieces. Was there any moment where you thought, "Yeah, I've made it now. This is this is brilliant." No, I panic every day do you? that it's going to come to an end. Right? Oh yeah. What would you do if it stopped tomorrow? What would you do if you 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 had done this great? You've built this great studio, this great podcast empire. What would you do if it stopped tomorrow? Yeah, it's difficult to say, really. Well, you don't know, do you? Because yeah. you don't think about that because you're so into what you're doing at the moment. You don't think, but when you Probably sometimes avoid do... avoid my wife for a little bit. <laughs> you sometimes do sit and think about what we do after it all comes crashing down. Because surely your whole, it will. But your whole career can't be underpinned by the insecurity of losing your job. You've got, presumably, you've got to enjoy the work. Absolutely otherwise you Absolutely underpins everything right. you do. Because I think it drives... Well, to me, it drives me. I never think I've done a good job. I've always, I'm, I'm the worst critic in the world at what I do. Hmm. I will listen back to a lot of what I produce and go, you shouldn't have said that. I don't like how that sounded. I want to, in the future, I want to change that. Why didn't we talk about this? I listened to a game back the other day. I did a uh, Chelsea Manchester United in the first half. I, I came at the end of it, the first half. I thought, brilliant, fantastic. I, I thought that, that worked really well. Listened to the second half and thought it was dreadful. Right. Right. Okay. So you, you're continually monitoring your own improvements. Yeah. Because I, I think it's quite a common thing for broadcasters to listen back to stuff they've done a while ago and be like, I can't listen to that. It's too cringe. Because uh, you're always moving on and learning new things. Uh, I mean, if you ever hear me do the Aguero moment, yeah. I mean, it's the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. And what, what can we, it's particularly in comparison That's to Martin Tyler's? Just crap. Right. Okay. It's total and utter nonsense. Right. Why do you think that is? Because you're just in the, the moment. Stan was shouting. <laughs> and I was trying to shout over him right and he's louder than I am yeah and it just sounds and, and it was bedlam I mean the, the difference is and this is another thing that I think people don't understand is that TV commentators are usually insulated a little bit from the crowd in the fact that they are somewhere miles away so they might be in a they might be on a gantry which is purposely built or they're higher up sure. or they're out the way or they're at the back whereas you're just in the press box or right? in the press box so yeah. the radio commentators are literally in the crowd so we're you can sometimes hear other language commentary in the background when you listen to a major tournaments yeah. radio commentary, for example. Absolutely, and, and sometimes you just hear lots of other industrial language. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And that was the case on at this moment when that goal went in; it just erupted all around us, and it was it was mad. It was absolutely mad. The whole stand almost felt like it was going to fall in on top of me, hmm. and I couldn't see anymore. And Stan was standing up, and he was screaming, and I was screaming. It just sounds awful. And I just hate listening to it. And Richard Keyes said to me afterwards because he was working with us at the time, and we'd done a few games together and he said to me that when I came in on the Monday morning I walked in he said he goes what did you think of your commentary at the at the weekend for the Aguero thing I said I thought it was awful he went correct turn it in keys <laughs> he was right though turn it in no, keys but he was right and, he, and, and actually it informed me because about two weeks later maybe longer than that uh, I went to Munich to do the, the Champions League final for Chelsea hmm. and uh, I made sure that even though I'm a Chelsea supporter, hmm. that I couldn't lose my call. I had to make sure that I was got it right. The moments quite, right. Quite an interesting situation for you in that. In that, because you probably wanted more than anything else to be a part of it and to get yeah. involved. Maybe be there with your pals or whatever. I did get involved afterwards. That's for sure. I bet you did. But it's a great privilege anyway to to do the job. So I suppose you've got to use Absolutely. that to, to, to pin. Absolutely. So so you're your own worst critic. Then what do you make of um, everyone out there who has an opinion of? your commentary and your job which as we've established is a very difficult one to get right I mean is it because we're, we're, we're far less insulated um, to criticism these days 
aren't we? Because of social media or the rest of it. How, how do yeah. you? How, what's your What's your strategy for approaching that? Because I, I've done one of these with Jim White, uh. and he's basically. I mean, he's obviously a bit older, and he's like, I don't care. I just don't care. I, I don't was, care. You don't either. Okay. I can't care. I did care at the beginning because some people do get involved. Some people do engage. Some really, people try and explain themselves. Really shook me at the beginning yeah, because I didn't understand it and social media was new when I first started doing talk sport social media was new mm. but you know television believe me when you get on to well, I'm doing ITV a World Cup 12 million people are watching the game mm. some people do have an opinion yeah right exactly yeah. <laughs> and they ain't going to like some of it and they are yeah. going to like it and you know we, we broadcast slightly different on ITV because we have 12 million sometimes 20 million people watching a game and not all of those people are clear football fans and yeah are really into the minutiae of, of football tactics. We have to be quite broad brush in the way we explain things because your nan might watch it or yeah. my mum watches it or, you know, um, my uncle who doesn't know anything about football might just turn on for that particular it's, game. It's kind of like the match of the day thing, isn't it? Where people will get really heads up about match of the day is really dumbing down and, and all this other stuff. And I think they've actually recently done a really good job of covering that thing you're talking about. People fail to understand that if you're a, I watch seven games a week football fan, yeah. it's not for you. No. It's a highlights program for yeah. people who didn't watch the games today because they didn't pay for Sky or they've got other interests. And so it's just a, a way for them to enjoy the highlights and a little bit of analysis in a two-minute section. Right? And, you, and you have to... Uh, you, you can't always... Not, not everyone understands that because they're not in the media industry, but we have to sort of rise above that a little bit. Yeah. Sort of go, well, we'll take a little bit of that criticism because our... our our main objective is to serve the majority of the people rather yeah. than... So you don't let it affect you? Oh, I can't now. No, I don't even look at it anymore. After a game, I don't even bother. No. It's pointless. I'll know if I've done a good job or a bad job and and my boss will tell me yeah. if I've done a good job. Yeah. I've got great producers. I'm really lucky. I work with some wonderful people. The, an ITV, I mean, I've got one of the best producers that I think has ever walked the earth. He used to be the head of ITV Sport and he's followed me around for the last mm. two tournaments. So... You know, Tony Pasta, who's now an independent producer, works with Gary Lineker on all his independent stuff. And he yeah. comes with me to do all the games and he is just fantastic. Such so a safe pair of hands then. Yeah, and he'll tell me if it's wrong. And and so when you transition from radio to TV, from yeah. my personal taste... I don't like a TV commentator talking too much. I think I understand the inspiration you got from Jonathan Pierce, but... Um, for me, someone like I, I don't expect you to name and shame, so I'll, I'll do it on your behalf. Um, Darren Fletcher talks way too much. It, it feels like that he's having a conversation with his co-commentator over the top of TV. Yeah, but pitches. that's the style. That's the that's yeah. what They've decided on that as a house style. How would you describe your style in, on TV? I mean, <sighs> um, I don't know. I'm not, I, I don't think I was. I don't think I talk as much as they do on BT. Mm. But I don't think I'm Barry Davis or John Champion. I mean, John and I have had a conversation about it. Was John once when I think about three minutes without saying a word during a yeah. live game <laughs> yeah and he's very good at that he, he allows that to happen well, Barry Davis would say I just want to punctuate the pitches right yeah. that's it yeah, yeah. Um, I just think it's changed I think I think the style has changed and the way we do football commentary will will continue to evolve and I think we'll have more talking rather than less mm. especially when as you now put in three voices which I think is probably going to become the norm yeah yeah that has been a sort of more recent addition hasn't it BT Sport have been in the vanguard of that really haven't they yep you don't like it I do like it. Yeah, I think it's the right thing to do. It's less work for you to do. <laughs> it's harder. <but laughs> Is that right? Yeah, it's hard, especially on radio. But it's, um, yeah, I think it's the right thing to do. I think they've done some great stuff. And I actually think Darren's very, very good. I think he's, um, he is one of the best. Well, um, talk to me about the preparation that's required for, each, for, for a game. Oh, I don't ever stop. Right. Every day. Right. Before I came here, I was in a cafe around the corner. Very nice one, by the way. Yeah. And I was just getting ready for tonight's game, tomorrow's game. 
the weekend. Start. I've got two games at the weekend. What so. does the preparation actually consist of, though? Reading, listening, watching, writing. Um, Will you try and go for say three facts about a player? So you've got it there if you I've need it. I've no, got no no objective in that. Right. Um, okay. I've had, I have a, a structure that I work to. Clive um, helped me sort of formulate a plan of how I do things over yeah. t- over time um, because he 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 likes to. He liked to have the, the the idea of a of a clear narrative. So you have a beginning, a middle, and an end, and you you set a match up at the beginning, mm. and at the end of the match you give its um, context, yeah, which is which makes a lot of sense. And the way we sort of I write for a game is very much around that. So maybe for example, and this will be a terrible example because I'm not a commentator. Say England are playing a team that they haven't beaten for 15 years. Mm. You'd made, maybe start with that sort of narrative, and at the end, if they did win, you'd go and the hoodoo is broken. Or if it didn't win, you'd say and it continues. I think that's the idea. If there's a clear story, yeah. yeah. If there's not a clear story, also, what do you do when it's like Wigan against Brentford in the, in the you know? There'll always be a story, right? But I think the, the also the other thing is is that you can't be dictated to by what you thought was going to happen before the game. You have to be able to react to what has happened in it and then sum it up. Um, and give the context if it has changed during that course of the ninety minutes, and reflect what's happened. So it's all right having these great ideas. I mean, sometimes I did a I did a game the other night. Here's a prime example. I did an, a, a, probably eight hours research for Portugal versus Ukraine. We did the game. It was nil nil. It was absolutely terrible. It was guff, as it always is when you watch Portugal, because they are bloody boring. Yeah, they, they're an awful football team. Despite the great, um, that's probably a bit too strong. They're not an awful football team. They're just a very dull team to watch. And yeah. they lack, despite the fact that they've got Ronaldo, um, even Diego Sosa came off the bench, um, Bernardo Silva, yeah. all these great players. Yeah, they never yeah. score any yeah. goals. No, yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Anyway, it's nil-nil. So we finished the, the highlights package. And I walked so is out, this TV already? Yes, yeah, it's TV. TV okay, yeah. I walked out of the studio and um, the, the producer said to me, that's crap. I said, we've picked one game to do highlights on to go with our England coverage yeah. and we've picked this one I said well pick another one yeah. just change it now just give me just go. that was at half time actually so at half time they re-edited the France-Moldova match so I did 90 minute commentary on Portugal versus Ukraine at full time it came out it was guff <laughs> they gave me a four minute edit and instead I just revoiced that just just off the cuff what you commented on the four minutes you saw as you saw it yeah. and they just used that yeah wow okay because that game was crap so right, yeah. you know. So you've got to be versatile. So, so yeah, you've got to know I your think stuff. nowadays you yeah. have to be nimble. Yeah. But I think you can do all the research you want in the world, but mm. ultimately, you know, sometimes you do use it, sometimes you don't use it. With with the I asked you briefly earlier about this relationship with your co-commentator and, yeah. and but in the context of preparation, do you expect to get a good grip of your co-commentator beforehand and find out what research they've done, or do you just want them just to add a bit of colour? I don't like co-commentators that do too much research and stray into my territory mm. in terms of statistical analysis. I think I was probably more like that when I was working with Danny Higginbottom a lot. And Danny would sometimes go into my territory and I'd be thinking, what? what? And then I actually thought, I stepped back and looked at it and think, actually, this is quite good. Right. Because what he did was he would be putting those things into a sort of significance. I think he's one of the best, mm. Danny. I mm. think he's really good at, I mean, his tactical stuff is fantastic. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I was a bit more sort of, but he was great at ringing you up and chatting with you and what are you going to start with? How are you going to get into it? He was brilliant. He's very good at forming those relationships with people. He's, right. he's, he's good at that. Right. Um, and I think a lot of people could learn from him really. Right. Um, but, you know, Stan and I never spoke before we'd get to a game. 
we'd get mm. to a game, we'd talk about loads of other bits and pieces and just go with it. Because right. Stan's very impulsive and just wants to yeah. be there. I um I did some stuff with uh Gary Neville. Again, we would talk briefly before a game, but nothing nothing major. Some people were like, nah, don't just just hit me with it and I'll react to it. Right. Um but yeah, it depends who it is, really. Different people, like everything, it's different people, isn't it? You know, absolutely. Some people are, are, are want to be ultra prepared. Some people have their own routine. Some people want to bounce ideas off you beforehand. Where, where do you think it's going then? So you talked about three commentators now, which is a, a new, a, a quite, a quite a new thing. But where, where, what do you think the future of all this stuff is? I mean, there's going to be presumably a need for a lot more commentators if we're going to show a lot more football. It's, it appears to be going that way. Um, we were talking earlier, weren't we, before we came on about the development of football broadcasting and how many more games we may see broadcast. Um, what do you think is going to happen? Do you think it's going to be a whole new generation coming through? Um, because uh, of that? Oh, I don't know. I don't know how hard that, that is going to be. One of the things I think the death of local radio has certainly given us is the fact that there's not enough um, room for people to, to cut their teeth. You were talking about the mistakes yeah. that I used to make when I was in Portsmouth. <laughs> there's not enough of that ability now. Um, or love enough of those vehicles now um, I don't know I think we're in an ever-changing market we're at the the, the start of a, a revolution the way we cover football I think I think it will change I think we'll be a lot more interactive I think it needs to be a lot more interactive I think we've resisted change a lot we even got very funny about Sky putting the score bug in the bottom left-hand corner once. Yeah, but BT Sport do that, don't they? And we petitioned them and made them and change it. And it's yeah. like, what? BT what? Sport still it? do it. So they can run the statistics along the bottom like yeah. a ticker. It's, yeah. You know, it's, it's a great idea. Yeah. Let them do it, you know. <laughs> Let them get on with it. I think they know what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is, is that you, know, you talked about voices. I think camera coverage will change. Right. Uh, I work with um, Grant Best, who was the director of... Um, programs at BT Sport when it first started I worked with him in India on a project a couple of years ago and he has this thing in his mind about how we film football mm. and it's um, and it's great and it's a, it's a great idea but the technology isn't really there yet for us to do what, that. Is it just more immersive or more... Um, no not necessarily I don't know whether or not I should share it because I don't know if he's, he's, he's sort of patented it but we'll put uh, a pin in that now we'll talk about it off the air later <laughs> but, but you're supposed to bring an insight Sam you've yeah. got to bring insight to this I, I, actually I, I, I'll tell you what it is most kids now play FIFA computer games or whatever yeah. and if you watch FIFA and you watch a football match there's, two, there's one particular difference in the way that the, the camera tracks so the camera on FIFA will track straight along the line so you'll yeah. you'll follow the ball but the camera will always be perpendicular to the pitch. So the offside, for example, is always in line. R- in line. Yeah. Okay. Now, obviously, in football, we don't do that because we track uh, an angle. Yeah. So, so you're you talking s- about the hundred meter camera that follows the hundred meter runners on a track. Yeah. Similar sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. And that'll be better. It will be better because it will provide you with a better perspective, I think, and it will be more familiar to people who've cut their teeth watching football on computer games rather than actual football. Um, I also think that you'll get more. I think you could do something amazing with highlights packages now with VR cameras and 360 cameras and 180 cameras. I think you could be a bit more creative with the way that you show events. Was it the League Cup? Was it the League Cup final this season where they, for the first time, they showed what I would call a FIFA type angle of the penalty shootout, where they had the camera behind the taker? Yeah. And for the first sort of five or ten seconds, it was like, "Wow, this is weird," but it's actually brilliant. Did you, you think so? I didn't think it was. I, I thought it was brilliant purely because of the information and the insight it gave you. Yeah. When you see a penalty shootout now, the way it's done, 
it's dramatic because it's, it either goes in or it doesn't, but you don't get an insight as to how it's gone in. You can't see whether it, how far wide it's gone, how but, far over it's gone, uh, but what, you can't how good see, a save it was. Yeah, and I, I take your point, and I think you're right in some regards, but I also think that the Penenka penalty that Hazard took mm-hmm. was completely lost by that angle because it just looked like it went straight. Because you couldn't see the flight. You couldn't see the flight. Sure, okay, so. so it's horses for courses. Yeah, so it, it depends, depends on what happens. It depends which one it is to yeah. use the best angle, but of course, when the live scenario, you can't do that, so... No. And and you've you've recently ventured into podcast, and you've got a podcast called All Commentators Are Geeks. With All football commentators are geeks, geeks yeah. yeah with, um, with fellow commentators, as the name suggests. F- podcasting clearly can't solve... Or, or improve the live match day experience from a media perspective, but it can offer a lot of other stuff um, around the game. What, what what made you decide to go into to making your podcast? I wanted to do it. I've yeah. always wanted to do a podcast. I think we've spoke about it before. Yeah, that I've always wanted to have a podcast, and I'd done one for the um, the Mirror Football for a while, and I um, I really enjoyed doing it, but they we couldn't agree a deal. In terms of financially, they ran out of money and they couldn't yeah. agree a deal to continue it. So I thought about doing it myself, and I put it together with a few colleagues and friends. And it's a it's a, it's a sort of pet project, really. It's a, a labour of love. I really enjoy it. We've, but it gives insight to people who, to, to find out what commentators are like, what their job a, entails, all that kind of thing. Yeah, it's a behind the scenes look at the commentary box and what it's like to be in the commentary box and mm. who. We got some great characters in our landscape of football reporting and football commentary and football presenting, and we've been lucky enough to have on our program talking about their their origin stories. Kelly uh, Cates, yeah. we've had John Champion, Vadian Dark, Darren Fletcher, John Murray from the BBC. The great thing about doing it for myself as well, it's not affiliated to any media companies. That yeah. I can get people from Sky, the BBC, sure. from ITV, from everywhere, from BT Sport, everywhere involved in it and I think if you did it for Talk Sport or you did it for you know Sky or someone like that you'd be hamstrung as to who you could get on and luckily we've been very lucky we've had Jim White we've had we've had everyone we've had we haven't had everyone but we've had a, a great slice of yeah. the of the commentary and reporting and and presentation um royalty in this country we've been very lucky that people have agreed to do it for us well people should check it out and before, before we go because we're just about out of time why don't you describe to the listeners what your commentary box looks like i'm thinking lots of paper a pen um a cup of bovril a packet of Werther's originals <laughs> perhaps some sort of ipad is that is that is that pretty accurate no no okay it's a laptop yeah and an ipad and that's and, it. And an Apple Pencil. You don't really... Did you do much writing? Yeah, loads of writing, but yeah. with the Apple Pencil. I lose pieces of paper. What's the point? Oh, so you, you're, you're quite sort of commentator 2.0. I can't imagine Clive Tilsley as, a, as, a, as an Apple Pencil. And a oh, iPad. no, no, no. We, I, I did make him buy an iPad. Yeah? Yeah, I forced him into it, I think. Pressure. <laughs> but he, um, yeah, but he's very much pen and paper. And he has the neatest handwriting in the history of the I world. I bet it can go really small. Oh, it's really small. Yeah, and different yeah. coloured pens. And oh, that kind of stuff. he's got one pen, but it's sort of that four-way pen thing. Oh, I love that. He does that all the time. Yeah. And it's and everything's got a certain colour. And sometimes I think... See, he's very very good at sharing stuff, Clive. So he'll, yeah. he'll send you his notes or whatever on a oh, game. Kind of yeah, amazing. it's very kind. Of, it sort of helps you sort of realise what he's done because he's a yeah. very experienced commentator. Yeah. So you sort of get a lot of insight from him from that. Yeah. Um, but what I, I can't work out whether or not he's showing off that he's done so much research or just showing off that he produces basically beautiful art as commentary notes. Because that's what it. they are. He could frame that kind they, of stuff. They, no, people do. People would love that. I have to show you them one day because I've got copies of them. I've yeah. photocopied them. Um, but they, uh, <laughs> yeah. but they, he, he really, they are. They're like works of art. His his commentary notes are, are have been used. And John Watson's has as well. He sold his at uh, auctions yeah. that have raised stupid amounts of money. I think the, the one from the 1987 FA Cup final 
Um, 87? What, Keith Houchin? No, no, 88 FA Cup final. Okay. Uh, Laurie, uh, the um, Wimbledon one. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Culture Club. Yeah, yeah. And the Laurie Sanchez. Game. Yeah, Laurie Sanchez. Is that 88 or 89? I get confused. 80, I can't remember. 87 yeah. was Houchin's header, yeah. wasn't it? yeah. 88 was Wimbledon, yeah. That will work it out, yeah. So that that, that, that game, mm. he sold that at a Willow Foundation event and mm. it got, I think, 20 grand or something. When I was a kid, I was scared that when I got older, footballers would be replaced by robots because it would be futuristic and there'd be no players playing anymore. Are you worried about an AI invasion into the commentary box? Google Glass, you know, that kind of stuff, everything robotronic. You worried about that? Is that going to be something that you need to think about in the next 10, 15 years? Because you're still a relatively Maybe. young man. I'm not really. Yeah. I wish I was. Um, uh, I think personality goes a long way. Yeah. And one of the things I really get that really gets on my nerves is when we try and curtail personality. I don't think we should be stupid. I don't think we should be silly. I've been told off for it before and I can be juvenile at times. Yeah. Um, but I think you've got to have personality. Yeah. I don't think at the moment computers can replicate that that well. Do you remember that thing that you said about oh, weak no. lemon squash? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, that was orange a good one. squash it was. Orange squash, yeah. yeah. Do you know what? There's a great story about that. And this is, I'm being self indulgent here. But people remember, just remind them what you said. So I was watching one of the most boring games in the history of Premier League football. <laughs> More boring was, than the Portugal game. Oh, mate, it was awful. It was yeah. Newcastle against Aston Villa. Yeah. And it was rubbish. It was so. Boring. It was nothing happening in the game. Yeah. No shots on target. Newcastle won it in the 89th minute with a goal from Loic Remy. Yeah. Um, and um, it, sort of you forget everything else that happened in between. But there was one moment where Stan had switched off. As it, sometimes he would sort of like completely, you know, he, he, sometimes he would just sort of drift away into nothingness because reverie, the game was, yeah. you know, yeah. was boring. And we'd all switched off. The, the game had just completely killed us just <laughs> people dead. just listening to crowd noise yeah, I, mean, in fact, I, yeah. I, I don't actually think if anyone was listening by this point because it was such a bad game well people were obviously because of what happened next Andreas Weinman was sent through one on one with the goalkeeper and he mm. went charging through and then when he got to the edge of the penalty area he hit the ball with all the power <laughs> of a glass of orange squash <laughs> made of 52 parts water <laughs> and one part orange squash <laughs> And I actually said that on national radio. Yeah. Now, Al, the, the, at the time, did at, you know? At the time, you could hear me going through it <laughs> and, and my brain was saying, shut up, yeah. shut up, stop talking, stop yeah. talking, stop yeah. talking. And it was only made worse by the fact that when I'd finished that sentence, knowing that I was an absolute idiot, Stan turned around and went, what? <laughs> made it worse. And then just moved on. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, and it did go viral. Um, is it the worst? Is it the worst? Is it the worst thing you've done? Or are you happy with it? You've got a sort of affection for it now. I, I, that one I've sort of just embraced, really, yeah. and I've embraced it because of this. Um, I went to, I did Soccer Aid for ITV in 2014 because club was unavailable, and um, that is one of the things that happens to me quite a lot. Yeah. I get oh, the, we've all been there, mate. I get the gig when Clive's not around. Yeah. In fact, at my wedding, someone said, "Nice for you to be here today. Sorry, Clive couldn't be here yeah, instead." Great. I like, oh, Can cheers. I just say though, take a bit, of, take a bit of credit because that's Clive Tilsey. He's a legend of the game. Yeah. I get called up and Bob. Mills was unavailable so <laughs> listen we all know how it works don't worry about that we all, we're all in the same cesspit here mate <laughs> um, um, so I was doing soccer aid and um, I had to go to training and there was Ollie Mers was there and whatever and they said oh Robbie Williams is coming out so you better meet him first of all and I was like oh right okay yeah. I'm quite interested had you in met this. him before no, never, no of course okay. and I walked out and the producer said uh, Robbie uh, this is um, 
this is our commentator, and Robbie Williams stopped him stone dead. He went, "Your matter face, the orange squash guy, the, the <laughs> squash guy from, from Twitter." And I was like. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. That, that's me. Hi, Robbie. Nice, I've nice, also commented nice at two Champions League finals, but yeah. who cares about that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, I'm, I'm quite surprised that we've gone through this whole interview and my, you haven't called me Sam Matterface from Dancing on Ice, which is, of course, my new name. Of course, yeah. So well, that's that's a nice little gig as well, isn't it? I, my, my, wife loves, my wife loves ice dancing, right? right. So she'll watch. It's the only real reality show she will watch because she watches it. And she'll know you from that. There's nothing wrong with that. Most people know me from that now. It's a great gig. It's a great so, gig. Someone, some, some, uh, when, when you first told me you were doing that, oh. I didn't watch it. And I thought you meant you were competing. Ice skating. Some some like, That's still brave. That. That's brave of you, that. Um, no, that came about because in an emergency, they really needed someone very quickly. Hmm. And um, of course, Tony Gubber was the person who did it beforehand. Sure. And sadly, he passed away. So yeah. they were trying to change the way they did it. It didn't quite work. Um, so after a, a show of the second, the first series back after a break, they rang me up in an emergency. Can you come and do it? I said, oh, I'll, I'll do one episode. And then it just, I've just been doing it ever but since. But if, if you if you delivered a, such an Alan Partridge type line oh. on Dancing on Ice, you'd be well, much more well known. I'm sure it. I have. Oh, okay, I'm, I'm right. sure I've done worse gags than that on, okay. on Dancing on okay. Ice. I mean, that is just a cheese fest. And what people need to understand, though, and I don't think this gets talked about enough, and not that could be chiefly because no one cares, but when you broadcast so many hours a week, you're obviously going to have something like that's going to happen. And, and it feels like as soon as you do that, some people leap on you, right? They leap on you. They don't think about all the other stuff you do. I don't, I don't care, really. I think it's, I, I enjoy it. I think it's fun. You know, we're having a bit of a laugh. We're not At the end of the day, it's not serious, is it? I mean, Dancing on Ice and football, that's my, that's my bread and butter. I I don't think no, I'm. It's not, uh, it's not the end of the world, is it? I'm, I'm not really worried about the uh, the peace treaty between North Korea and no. uh, the US administration. So, but maybe in the future you might be. Hey, you know. It's like that old Steve Coogan sketch where he's a pool attendant. In 1985, no one died. In 1986, <laughs> no one died. In 1987, someone died. <laughs> <laughs> have us to the best of us Sam it's been an absolute pleasure That's thank you very great. much for your time thanks for um, having me people listening should take into account uh, all football commentators are geeks and go and give that a listen at AFC um, Geeks on Twitter there we go because it's a great listen to people for anyone really who's interested in the, in the world of football broadcasting uh, thank you very much Sam it's been great um, and um, I'll catch up with you again soon this episode of Ramble Meets was sponsored by Bet365 this was a Radio Stakhanov production. production.